Chapter thirty two of Living with Our Children by Claire D. Pearson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Presence of God. Some of us have grown up to motherhood with the comforting sense of the presence of God and a consciousness of His care for us, and some of us have missed that sweet and strengthening influence in our lives. But it is doubtful whether there was ever a mother who, looking down on the beloved little one at her breast, did not feel a deep desire to be her very best and finest for the sake of the child who had been given her to rear it makes one very humble to realize that she must for a long time be the fount from which he draws the nourishment for his mind and his soul as well as for his body it is true that in many cases this feeling of odd responsibility passes as the other cares of life press and crowd upon the mother perhaps it does not so much pass as become dormant for a time but however that may be there is nothing like motherhood to give us a glimpse of the way in which god watches his children on earth one of whom the sense of god's presence has always been a vital thing wonders how other mothers dare hope to achieve the needed strength vision and patience without it yet such is the force of lifelong habit that many do for a while at least after the first wonder passes and life for the newcomer seems to be merely a matter of food rest cleanliness and warmth proficiency in supplying these begets self-confidence and the custom of living in the present only it is when the child is old enough to ask questions that a new element enters in and certain decisions are forced upon the most worldly of mothers you know what some of the questions are sure to be mamma who is god did he make me where does he live why do people say prayers to him do you say prayers to him why do the people at edna's house say a little prayer always before they eat at the table why don't we do that doesn't he want us to do it too why don't i go to sunday school every sunday etc etc you see how these decisions are forced and such is the power of tradition alone quite apart from religious conviction that many a mother who has never known what it is to walk by faith is careful to teach her children a short bedtime prayer even if she goes no farther then there arises a peculiar situation for how is one who has no faith to lead her trusting child to fellowship with one whom he longs to know better than she has known him it is written in the bible that a little child shall lead them and perhaps one way in which the child does this is by asking to be led himself we all want the best for our children we want them to be better than we have been we hope that they will never discover that we are faulty perhaps we had been carefully started right but have taken the lower turn of the road once in a while we want oh how we want to spare them such experiences we have tried to ensure their uprightness by telling them in one way or another that they must always do the right thing and that it is very naughty to be bad and that children who do wrong always get caught at it in the end 
as though a carefully cultivated sense of expectancy would ever hold young people to their moorings when the dark tides of restlessness covetousness and passion sweep strongly down upon them the child who is most carefully reared in the nurture and admonition of the lord may stray far from the fold for a time but he will not be happy in the ways of sin and he has something to return to for security the man who is at the head of a chain of fifty-odd missions in this country and who has known what it is to raise himself with god's aid from the life of a common drunkard to a position of respect influence and consecrated power says when a down and outer comes to us we clean him up feed him see that he gets a good night's sleep and then we get his history if we find that he had religious training as a child we know that we can save him if not well we do the best we can but we may succeed and we may not this little volume is not sent out as a religious publication it is intended merely as a series of practical little essays which mothers may care to peruse from time to time when perhaps they feel like taking counsel with an older woman who has many times met the same problems which now confront them the older woman in this case makes no apology for introducing the subject of religion even to one who might prefer not to discuss it there is this advantage to saying these things on the printed page that if the reader is displeased she can straightway lay down the book without violating any code of good manners but the reader will not leave this short essay unread if she lays it down she will take it up again because she loves her child and wishes to do her best by him she may do well by him may sacrifice herself to the utmost but she cannot do her best if she leaves god out of the reckoning if she does not feel that she can lead where she is unaccustomed to go then she and her child must learn the way together it will be a sweet experience for them both children's prayers must be comprehensible to the children else they become but vain repetitions there are some objections to always using the same prayer unless that prayer has so grown out of the child's own needs and desires as to mean a great deal to him a prayer that has been slowly and carefully framed by the child and his mother may be used year after year without becoming trite with such a prayer there is always the possibility of adding to it as new needs develop unorthodox as it may seem to say so the time-honoured now i lay me down to sleep is not so well adapted in its thought as in the length of its words to the needs of a child if you will analyse the thought you will realise this and it seems a pity to use it because previous generations have done so if the use means robbing the child's sweetly solemn bedtime hour of its deepest significance here is the story of one prayer framed years ago by a mother and her two sons of six and eight who had been accustomed to simple extemporaneous prayers each night 
The boys suddenly decided that they would like a prayer that sounded like poetry, but would be their very own poetry. So their mother promised to help them, but said that before they wrote it out, they must think carefully about it and be sure just what things they should pray for. So for at least a fortnight, there were tablets and paper kept in the boys' room, and each night, as they discussed the experiences of the day and saw where they had failed, or talked over the coming night and day and realized their needs, the mother made notes for later use. Before she cast them into verse, they went over the notes together and found where half a dozen or so faults were all the result of want of thought or several others came from lack of courage. So by skillful and well-considered generalizing, it became possible to condense. One boy, to whom the imagery of the shepherd's psalm had come to mean a great deal, asked that there should be something about a shepherd in the prayer. And after it was written and in use, one of the boys asked that something in regard to truthfulness of word and action should be added to it for his especial benefit. He, feeling that the mere allusion to evil speech, which was already there, was hardly adequate. It was then that the fourth stanza was written and inserted. In order to vary the repetition slightly, and guard against it becoming mechanical, it was sometimes repeated entire by mother and sons together, and sometimes one or the other repeated the first three lines of each stanza, while the others united in the fourth, somewhat after the manner of a litany. This is the prayer. Dear Lord of earth and starlit sky, we thank thee thou art ever nigh to hear us as we humbly cry to thee to keep thy children we thank thee for our day so blessed we thank thee for the coming rest as tired lambs on their shepherd's breast now take thy little children forgive us for the wrong we wrought for evil speech and want of thought o grant to us the pardon sought dear lord forgive thy children teach thou our lips to speak thy praise and truthful words throughout our days may we be honest in our ways o strengthen thou thy children guard us all through the darkening night and when we waken in the light help us be brave to do the right o strengthen thou thy children Another prayer was compiled from scripture verses by the mother of the little lad who objected to using the Lord's Prayer because it did not have the meaning for him that he felt he wanted. We adults seldom realize how difficult of comprehension the language of our own most treasure prayer is for children. Perhaps they lose something of its simple grandeur and dignity by having to translate it into their own vocabulary when they learn it too young. You will note that a similar difficulty in regard to the two great commandments of our law has been met in the following prayer by dropping the phraseology while retaining the thought. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Keep the door of my lips. Help me to love God and my fellow men, and to do unto others as I would that they should do unto me. Clear thou me from hidden faults. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O God, my strength and my Redeemer. This prayer has more dignity than the preceding one. It would be less quickly outgrown. In fact, it need never be outgrown, and one can easily imagine how, in the crisis of afterlife, it would rise simply and naturally to the lips in either private or public prayer. Any prayer which is a vital part of the child's thought and life is bound to recur to him in later years, though if it is in the form of simple verses, it may never be spoken before others. It is a comforting thought that, when we are not near to aid them with our spoken faith and counsel, we may yet strengthen our children in their hours of trial as they recall the prayers which we have offered with them to the God who is our stay as well as theirs. End of chapter 32